What a beautiful day it is, certainly this morning. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm here an hour early. Not a, the sun didn't come up at the time it normally comes up when I get up in the morning. It was late. It's funny how man can change the clock back and forth, and what, time, what does time mean to God? Nothing. And yet we fix it up and down, up and down twice a year. Thank Riley for reading of the lesson of uh, the scripture this morning. In the last and the eighth verse of that scripture, I want to talk about these things. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm trying to please the Lord. And I'm trying to do what he wants me to do. And if I've got a statement in the scriptures that says this is what he's required, then I think it's worth the study. Hopefully, over the next three lessons that I give, we will talk about to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly. It's a three-sermon series, I guess you'd call it. But I wanted to speak just a minute about these words. First of all, in front of them are action vows. To do, to love, to walk. It requires us to do something. We can't just sit by and be passive. We need to do these things because God requires them. And if he requires them, we need to do them. Now, the other thing that I noticed in the scripture, you see here where it says, well, you need to obey the Lord. You see, well, you, you've got in the Old Testament here, Micah, you've got to follow the Old Testament, you've got to do the old laws, you've got to do the sacrifices. Is that in those three things that is required? The answer is no. I believe Micah was speaking to the believer. He was speaking to the children of Israel that were faithful, that were already doing sacrifices, that were already trying to do the law, that were already trying to do the things that God wanted to do. The same with us. He is speaking to those that believe. In the Old Testament, he's not speaking to the heathen. And he wasn't speaking to those that had gone away from him the, in the Jewish nation. And he's not speaking to the unbeliever today. But instead, I believe he's speaking to us. And we're trying. I know you are. I am. Trying to do the things that God has asked us to do. And what the Lord proclaims for us to do, we're trying to do his will. But on top of that, we find that Micah said there are things that are required besides that. And here they are. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So this morning, I want to spend some time looking in detail at what it means to do justly. If you look at the Hebrew word mishpah, the word justly means to judge correctly to judge judiciously, to use the right ordinance, the right sentence. In our court system today, the judge usually has some sort of leeway. He can have a, a lenient judgment or a harsher one, and he has some leeway in there to give it. And that's the only example I can think of because when we judge, to judge justly, we need to do it correctly and we need to use the right sentence and the right ordinance so that we're judging like God wanted to, would want us to judge. 
To do justly means the act of judging rightly or correctly. The, the psalmist in Psalms 19 and 7 said, The law of the Lord is perfect concerning the soul, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Now the writer here says that the law, God's law is perfect and it will convert your soul. And it, it makes wise the simple. To study the scriptures will make one that is simple wise. And they're always right. The statue of the Lord's are right. And if you follow them, they will rejoice your heart. But also it enlightens the eyes. It gives us wisdom. It allows us to see the world as God would expect us to see it and to deal with it because of the wisdom that we find in the scriptures. Familiar scripture there, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, I used to look at this and say, well, he wants me to really study, and I need to have every detail, and I need to know exactly every part of the commandment, and this is what I need to do. But he also wants us to rightly divide it. He wants us not only to know it, but to understand how to administer it and how to use it in our lives. This was written to Timothy. What did Paul say to Timothy? He says, I know you know the word. I know you know the law through your mother and your grandmother. I know you know these things. But on top of those things and knowing those things, you need to rightly divide it. You need to understand it. You need to do justly by what God has commanded us to do. The 119th Psalm is the Psalm is the chapter with the most verses in the Bible as man has divided it up. It's really long. The whole chapter has to do with judgment and justice and the law of God. The writer there in the 26th verse says, I will declare my ways and thou hearest me. Teach me thy statutes. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts. So shall I talk of the wondrous, so shall I talk of the wondrous works. He said, I want to know your statutes and I want you to declare them to me, but why? So that I can understand how to use them. How to understand the way of thy precepts. How do I use it in day-to-day -day life? How do I do it and when things come to me, when conditions and when trials all come to me, how do I use the word correctly? Later on in that chapter, it says, Thou shalt dwell well with thy servant, O Lord, according to thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. For I have believed thy commandments. What's the difference between good judgment and judgment? Well, good judgment's using the word of God correctly. Good judgment is judging rightly, to be just, to do justly. He, the writer there was asking God to allow him, teach him how to do that. In Proverbs, the, there at the beginning of Proverbs, the Solomon, the wisest man to live on earth outside of Jesus Christ, he starts out by saying, The proverb of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. So what does it take for wisdom? It takes understanding. 
we can't be wise without knowing, understanding God's will, what he wants us to do. The third verse says to receive the instructions of wisdom. What is the instruction of wisdom? It's justice and judgment and equity. To use God's commandments and his, his love for all of us justly. To do justly what we should do. Proverbs, the 21st chapter, it says to do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So to do justice, to, be, to do justly, to understand judgment the way it should be metered out is important. Let's look at the example we find here in Matthew, the 23rd chapter. We know that Jesus was not pleased with the scribes and Pharisees. And he calls them hypocrites. And he says, For you pay tithe the mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye have done, and not to leave the other undone. Now the Old Testament was very specific. It said that you are to give to tithe. Tithe means to give one-tenth of everything you have to the Lord. And it's supposed to be the best tenth. It's supposed to be the first tenth. That's what you're supposed to do first. Well, the scribes and Pharisees had brought that right down to the very detail of the spices they put in their food. And they took a tenth of it and set it aside for the Lord, for God. Now, did Jesus criticize that? No, he didn't. But what he said is, is you're using that, but you're forgetting other things. You're forgetting the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. In Luke, the same example, it says, But woe unto you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and love of God. So he didn't criticize them because they had drawn down to the very, very bottom of giving a tenth of everything they had. But what he says is, is you forgot about mercy and faith and God's love. Those are important too. And you need to be able, you need to justly use them. There's an example here in John the 8th chapter that I'd like to use. An account there, and we all are familiar with it, where the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman that was taken into adultery. It says there that he set her in the midst... They said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that should, uh, that should such be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. Were these um, scribes and Pharisees correct? What does the old law say? The old law says if a person commits adultery, they're to be stoned. Now, it's interesting that they brought the woman and not the man because in the Old Testament, either one of them, it would be, they'd both be stoned. They weren't interested in that. They were trying to catch Jesus and either not doing what the law says by saying, well, we shouldn't stone her. And if he did, then the, the Roman law said that the Jews didn't have the right to kill somebody. So they were trying to, to trick Jesus. They were trying, as the scriptures have said, he had tempting him that they might accuse him. Of course, Jesus knew their heart. 
But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said to them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it became convicted by their own conscience, went out by, one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last. Jesus says, okay, if we're going to stone this woman, the person who doesn't have any sin, he has to throw the first stone. Before we judge somebody, we better look in, in the mirror. We better look at our souls. We better look at ourselves and say, how are we? We're sinners too. So we got to be careful. And what happened here, they started thinking about it and they said, you know, I'm not near as clean as I thought I was. Starting with the oldest down to the youngest, they left. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, her woman, where is those, that accu those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, was, was Jesus saying it was okay to be an adulterer or adulteress? No. But he knew how to judge justly. He knew this woman's heart. He knew that she was sorrowful. He knew that this was a change in her life. So did he condemn her? No. He could have caused her to die right there for her sin. No. What he said is, don't do that again. He gave forgiveness to the woman. He had mercy to the woman. But he also said, don't sin again. Don't do it again. That is the kind of judgment that our Savior had. In Matthew 12 and 9, Another example here is when he had departed thence, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man there which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him? Again, the Old Testament was very specific about what you could do on the, the Sabbath day, on Saturday. You couldn't do work. You couldn't cook. There were, so many, there were lots of things you couldn't do. Now, there's another example in the Scripture here where Jesus said, you know, the priests do things on the Sabbath. They do circumcision. They sacrifice. They worship God. Those are all work things, but we don't condemn those. Why? Because that is what they should be doing on the Sabbath. I've owned two stoves that I can remember in my lifetime that both have a program in them that can program them so they will not work on Saturday, on the Sabbath. You can't cook on them on a Sabbath if you want to set it up that way. Now, first of all, I think that's sort of dumb. If you got to have a, your religion is such that you got to make sure that you don't cook on Sabbath because if, if the stove worked, you'd go cook. But it comes from the fact that they weren't supposed to cook on the Sabbath. They were supposed to cook on Friday and eat, what they eat cook extra and eat it on Saturday. So my ovens, if I set them up that way, wouldn't cook on Saturday. But that's not what God intended here. Jesus said unto them, he said unto them, Which, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into the pit on a Sabbath day, will he not lay hold of it and lift it out? He says, you guys are ridiculous. 
pushing this to this limit of what you can do on the Sabbath. He says if you've got a sheep and it falls into the ditch and it's bleeding, it's bleeding is the right word, reaching down and grabbing it and pulling it out, wouldn't you do that? Sure you would. Let's make it even more ridiculous. What if it's your child who fell into the hole and can't get out? Are you going to wait till Sunday to get him out? Well, no. But yet the, the Old Testament's very specific. You can't do things on Saturday. But Jesus said that's not the intent of what is there. How much then is a man better than sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath day. Then saith he to the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched forth his hand and he restored it whole like as the other. What did Jesus do on the Sabbath? He did a work of miracle. He did good. And he says, you ought to do good. He said, That's, it's certainly good to do good on the Sabbath. It's okay to do good on the Sabbath. The Pharisees went out and held counsel against him how they might destroy him. You would think that they would learn, but every time they try to corner Jesus about something, they're dealing with the Son of God they're dealing with the wisest man ever to walk. And they kept trying to put him in a corner. They kept trying to trip him up. And it just made him more and more angry. Because he was right. And they knew he was right. In a list of the things in the Old Testament and the Old Law, in Leviticus 19 and 15, it says, Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shall thou judge thy neighbor. We aren't supposed to judge somebody because they don't have much material goods. We're not supposed to do favor for those that have a lot of money. We are to judge, not unrighteously, not with respect to our persons, but do justly do what you would do for any person and it says there in righteousness judge thy neighbor a little farther down in Leviticus 19 19 it says thou shall not hate thy brother in thy heart thou shall in no wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin among them thou shall not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of the people but thou shall love thy neighbor as thyself have we heard that in the new testament what did Jesus say was the second most commandment? It was to love thy neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to judge their deeds unrighteously. You're not going to look for ways to judge them or find ill for them because you love them. Instead, you're going to have compassion and mercy. I like it on farther down in Leviticus 19 chapter. It says, Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, in meteart, in weight, or in measure. Now basically, especially for the young here, what that means is, is you don't cheat. Okay? If you're going to be a Christian, you need to be upright. You don't cheat. You don't cheat your fellow brethren. You don't cheat the people in the world. They had a scale, and we've all seen the scale with the two plates on both sides. They would reach in the bag, and they'd pull out a weight. Let's call it a pound. And they'd put the pound on there. And if they were buying something, they'd put a weight on there that weighed more than a pound. 
So when the man put meat on there, they got more meat because the scale didn't even until, until they got up for the heavyweight. Then if they're selling something, they reach in the bag and they put a lightweight on it. They put a light pound on it. That way, when they put stuff on it, it balances sooner so they sold something to somebody and they paid them more money for it. They were cheating. They were digging in the bag and they were getting false weights. He says, don't do that. Just balances, just weights, a just ephob, a just hen shall thy use, weights. For I am the Lord your God. We don't cheat. Second Corinthians 8 and 21 says, Providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. It's not just that we need to be honest so in the sight of, of God, but we represent as Christians his kingdom here on earth. And if we cheat people or we do dishonest things to people, then that's in the sight of men. He said, don't do that. Most of you know that my oldest son spent some time in China and we got to go over there and visit. And while we're there, we're doing the tourist type things. We go here and there and it was very enjoyable to see things. One of the things that I went to saw, see was a Buddhist temple. In this Buddhist temple, they were remodeling it and stuff, and I don't know if they did it all the time or what, but they were charging to go in. They were, you were costing you money to go in and see all of these things in this Buddhist temple, which is okay. Well, I got in line. Well, the people in front of me were Chinese, and I forgot what they paid, but they paid some amount. Well, when it got to my turn, I paid two or three times what they paid. That person looked at me and said, well, he can afford more, so he's going to get charged more. I'm not tempted to be a Buddhist, never would be tempted to be a Buddhist. But you know, if I was tempted to be a Buddhist and the guy cheated me at the door, am I going to be a Buddhist? No. So, not only do we need to be honest and fair in the sight of God, but we need to be honest and fair in the sight of men. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 9, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in all of Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands, and as commanded. <coughs> as we command you, excuse me, that ye may walk honestly towards them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing, that you may walk honestly towards them that are out. Who's them without? The people in the world. They look at us, and if we're a Christian and we're representing the Lord, they're saying, well, he's honest. He does good. He never cheats me. He doesn't take advantage of me. That's what the writer here, Paul, was saying. He says, walk honestly towards them that are without. Remember Job. We know the account there where it said the devil was down on the earth and he was walking to and fro and came up and the, and the Lord said to him, he said, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him. He's a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. He says, Satan, have you seen my servant Job? He's this man, and he is the perfect man. He's upright. He fears me, and he doesn't like evil. Stays away from it. 
Well, what was Job doing? And this is, Job wasn't bragging. I don't mean this to look at bragging, but what was Job doing? In the 29th chapter, he opines or he wishes for those days before all of the destruction came to him. And what did he say? To people that would bear, he said, when the ear heard me, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw me, it gave witness to me because I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless and him that had none to help them. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me. I did good works. And I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My judgment was a robe and a diadem. I was eyes to the blind and feet was I to the lame. I was a father to the poor and the cause which I knew not I searched out. I don't believe Job was bragging. I believe he was saying, you know, before all this happened, this was me. God looked down and said, look at Job. Job was doing good things. Job was taking care of people. Job was pleasing me. Titus 2 and 14 says, speaking of Jesus who gave himself for us, that he might redeem to us from all iniquity and, and purify to himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. We need to do the things that Job was doing. We need to be zealous of good works. We need to help others. Look at Zechariah 7 and 9. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment and show mercy and compassion every man to his brother. True judgment. But while we're judging someone, let's do it justly. Let's show mercy and let's show compassion. That's important. Philippians 1 and 9. And this I pray that you love, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. He says he prayed that their love would abound more and more in what? In knowledge and in all judgment. To do justly is to judge with love. To do justly is to judge with mercy and compassion. 1 Corinthians 10 and 23. The Apostle Paul said this. He says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. He says, you know, I can do lots of things, but if it offends my brother, I shouldn't do it. I can do lots of things because it's lawful for me, but if I didn't edify anybody, I shouldn't do it. And finally, in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, the chapter of love, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, have not love, I am nothing. What good does it for us to do to know the will of God and to know the commandments and know exactly what we're supposed to do and all of the judgments there if we don't have love in the heart. He said here, the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith, 
that I could even remove mountains if I don't have love in my judgment. What am I? I'm nothing. So to do justly is something that God requires of us as believers. He wants us to use his word. He wants us to use his commandments. And he wants to understand the precepts that are in them. And to do justly. Use compassion. Use mercy. Don't judge out of meanness or judge out of heartlessness. But instead, understand that we all have sinned. That we all need compassion. That we all need mercy. So when someone offends you, judge them by doing justly. Do justly to all men. That's the lesson of the morning. I hope there's something in it that allow you to think and study in the, in the weeks to come. This has not been a lesson of first principles, but we ask that if you've been sufficiently taught, we'd ask you to come and as we stand and sing two verses of the song selected.